Hey everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to go ahead and subscribe to our Journey YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you all right there. Now, I hope this episode helps you take your next step in following Jesus. What we're doing today and for the next four weeks actually is I wanted to do this new series called The Life and Times of Joe Jacobson because what I want to do is share with you a few things I have learned that help me as I'm trying to navigate all that emotion, all that fog. And if you haven't been with us before, you're not familiar when I talk about doing a series. When I do a teaching series, basically what I mean is this. I have some things I want to talk to you about. And it would take, in this case, it would take me, oh, about two hours to tell you what I want to tell you, but none of you want to sit here for two hours, do you? So I break it up into weeks, okay? So it's almost like one big, long talk broken up into four weeks. So I tell you that because today, when you leave, you are going to have way more questions than you have answers. If that's the case, you didn't do anything wrong, okay? You didn't miss anything. That's kind of the point. You're going to walk out with a lot more questions than you have answers, and hopefully over the next few weeks, we're going to answer them. But this is one of those series that, I've been thinking about doing, I don't know, probably 15 years. It's been a long time. And so one of two things is going to happen. Either we're going to get to the end of this and y'all are going to be like, man, I'm so glad he's thought about this so long. That was really helpful. Or you're going to be like, he should have held it another 15. I don't know which way it'll go, but we'll all find out together, okay? I'll probably know sooner because y'all won't show up next week. And then it's like, oh, okay, so pointless series. But anyway, we're going to dig into this. And the reason I wanted to talk about this so much is because... I want to share with you a question that I have found to be really helpful for me. This question gives me clarity when there's a lot of confusion. It gives me clarity when all that fog of emotion is making it hard for me to know what to do. This is a question that I have found gives me some really good direction when I'm just not sure, when I'm so uncertain. You know, this question kind of parts the waters for me in some respects and makes it really clear a lot of times, oh, this is what you should do. Sometimes this question gives me courage because I, I'm like, okay, I think that's the right thing to do, but I don't know if I, if I do the right thing, if things are going to actually work out right. It may make my life worse, not better. And this question sometimes gives me the courage to go ahead and do the right thing. And the, the flip side is true, if I'm being honest. Sometimes I know what the right thing is. I don't want to do it. And I ask myself this question and it just kicks me in the tail. You know, It's like, no, you should go ahead and do that, even though you don't want to. So today, I just want to share this question with you, and then we'll unpack it over the next few weeks. The question is simply this. What would someone like you do who was confident that God was with them? So what would somebody in your current circumstances do if they were absolutely confident God was with them? Everything may be great for you in life right now. Things are rolling, you know, money's good, and job's great, or, you know, school's good, whatever it is. You may be in a place where you're just so happy, everything's going well, okay, well, What would somebody in your current circumstances with life going so well, what would they do if they were confident God was with them? And the flip side is true. You may be struggling right now. Your marriage may be struggling. You're not sure what to do. You got a kid that, you know, you're trying and trying and just can't seem to get them back on track, on the right track. Or you may be a high school senior and you had this dream school to go to and you got a rejection letter and it's a no. And, you know, what was a high school senior? In your circumstances, who can't go to their dream school, what what do they do if they're confident that God's with them? Or you may be trying to battle through an addiction and break free of that, and it's so hard, it's so challenging. Or you may be in a 
point of life where it's just normal, you know, and this is where we live sometimes, isn't it? It's another day, it's another day, everything just seems pretty normal. Well, what would somebody like you in your current circumstances do if they were confident that God was with them? To me, this is a really powerful question, and part of the reason it's so powerful is because it forces me to actually look for God in my circumstances. And what I've discovered is God's often in circumstances I don't think he's in until I start looking for him, and then I can see him more clearly. So as I said, I want to unpack this question over the next few weeks, and the way I want to do it is I want to share with you an ancient story of a young man who this question seems to have guided and directed his life. His name, and some of you will be familiar with him if you grew up in church, his name is Joseph, the son of Jacob. See what we did there with the title, Joe, Jacob's son? Yeah, I know, I know. It's bad. But I'll tell you why I did it. I'll tell you why I did it. Because there are some people in our community who spread the rumor that I don't believe in the Old Testament, and I didn't want to disappoint them and let them know I was going to talk about Joseph, so that's why I'm just kidding. That's why, anyway, the life and time, y'all hadn't heard that apparently. There are people who say, he doesn't believe in the Old Testament, he never talks about it. So I didn't want them to know I was talking about it. They'd be all upset. So anyway, the life and times of Joe Jacobson. The life and times of Joe Jacobson. Let me give you some backstory, some context on Joseph. So Joseph's dad was Jacob, and we're going to unravel this to the point where everybody's familiar because Jacob's dad was Isaac, and Isaac's dad, oh, here we go, everybody's heard of him, was Abraham, okay? So Joseph comes from this extraordinary line. Abraham's his great-grandfather. Isaac's grandfather. Jacob, who sometimes was called Israel, is his dad. But when you dig into Joseph's story, here's what you discover. From the time he's 17 until he's about 40, his story is a story of extremes. Of extremes. And what I mean by that is this. There are moments in this story where Jacob's life is far worse than yours will ever be. There are moments in the story where Jacob's wealth is far greater than you're ever going to have. And there are moments in the story where Jacob has more power and the opportunity for payback and revenge in ways that, if we were all honest, we sometimes have wished we would have, but we are never going to have. I mean, Jacob's story in this you know, 20-plus year span hits the highest highs and the lowest lows. But when the story starts... It starts in a way it's really familiar to all of us. It starts in something that we've all experienced, and that is family drama. We know a little bit about family drama, don't we? Everybody has a little bit of that. Jacob had a lot of that, so, or Joseph rather had a lot of that. So Joseph was, uh, at the time, the youngest of 11 brothers. Eventually, there's a 12th brother that comes along that's younger than him. But at the time where the story starts, he's the youngest of 11 brothers, and there is some major, major drama between them, and it is all started or stirred up by his dad. So the writer of Genesis, as he's telling us this story, starts by telling us this. Now Israel, another name for Jacob, Joseph's dad. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. Now, I want you to think about this. If you were 17 years old, some of you are 17 now, so this will be easy, but the rest of us, if you were 17 years old, think about your 17-year-old self. If at 17 you had known that your dad loved you more than all of your brothers and sisters, what would you have done? You'd have been really careful not to hurt their feelings, wouldn't you? No, of course you wouldn't have. You would have flaunted that. We all would have. And this is what Joseph did. At 17, he's not so mature, right? He knows his dad loves him more than all the other brothers, so he taunts him with it, and he flaunts it. 
And he's got this coat, you know, that his dad has given him, and he hadn't given anybody else a coat, so he wears his coat around all the time. He's like, hey, guys, where's your, you know. He's just always rubbing it in to the point that the writer of the story tells us that when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they couldn't speak a kind word to him. And then, as 17-year-olds sometimes can do, particularly in Joseph's case, he has another decision that wasn't the best judgment because Joseph has two dreams. And in both of these dreams, God shows Joseph in vague terms what his future is going to be like. Basically, God tells Joseph, there's going to be a point in your future where you have so much power that your brothers all bow down to you. I know that you're the youngest, but there's going to come a day when all of your older brothers, well, they're going to follow you and they're going to bow down before you. And your mom and dad, they're going to do the same thing. And so Joseph does what you would expect Joseph to do. As soon as he has these dreams and he realizes what they mean, he goes and he tells his brothers, hey, guess what, guys? You know, not only do I have a robe, not only am I dad's favorite, but God's got a really good plan for me. It's not so great for y'all, but it's really good for me because eventually y'all are all going to bow down. And the writer tells us that, and you can imagine this, that by the time Joseph has shared all of this, his brothers just hate him all the more. So some time passes. And then all of Joseph's brothers are sent out by their dad to you know, watch the sheep that Jacob has. And they're a pretty good distance away from where they all live. Joseph doesn't have to go because, well, he's the favorite, right? And favorites don't have to work. You could tell stories about that probably. So anyway, they're all out there, and Joseph's back with his dad, and some time passes. And Jacob looks at Joseph and says, hey, I want you to go check on your brothers, which never ended well because Joseph would go, and he'd come back, and he was like a tattletale, you know. Well, Dad, the brothers aren't. Well, Dad, the brothers should, you know, and he'd get them in trouble. So off he goes again. It takes him a few days, and eventually he finds his brothers, you know. And he's wearing his robe, because again, why not rub it in? So he's wearing his robe, and they spot him a long way out, walking. You can't miss his robe. And so they begin to talk amongst themselves. And the brothers decide they have the opportunity they have been waiting for. And they collectively come to the decision that they are going to kill Joseph. Yeah, not like give him a hard way to go, not rough him up a little bit, not make it hard on him. No, no, they're going to kill him, legitimately kill him. They decide we are going to murder this guy. We are going to fake his death. We're going to go back and act so sad and tell dad, oh my gosh, we're so sorry. But we are done with this. We're going to put an end to it. And so sure enough, Joseph comes up. He has no idea. He's probably cocky as ever, you know. And They grab him, they rough him up. But Reuben, who's one of the older brothers, Reuben, before they're able to kill him, says, whoa, 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 how about we throw him in a cistern first, like in a big well, and we'll come back and kill him in a little bit. After all, it's lunchtime. So they're like, oh, yeah, it's lunchtime. So they do. They throw him in the cistern in this big well. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine the fear? Like all of a sudden, Joseph goes from the favorite, you know, daddy's boy, he's got everything he wants, to, oh, my gosh, my life's at risk. So they throw him in the cistern. The reason Reuben did all this is because Reuben thought this is a terrible idea. We shouldn't kill him. He'll crush our dad. I'm going to circle back when they're not paying attention. I'm going to free him out of the sister and tell him, run for your life, man, you know. So he was going to, he's going to rescue him later. Well, they sit down to lunch, and Reuben has to go and run an errand. And while he's off running the errand, and I'm just reading into the story, but Joseph's probably in the bottom of the well, you know, screaming, help, you know, come on, what are you doing? The, you know, is this a joke? You know, he's trying to figure out what's happening. While all this is going on, the rest of the brothers are talking about, can we kill him now? You know, it's time. Let's kill him now. Let's put an end to it. And then another brother, Judah, sees in a distance, he sees these Midianites, or sometimes they're called Ishmaelites, this caravan coming. These Midianites are traders. They would trade anything, including human life. And Judah gets a brilliant idea. 
So he looks at his brothers and he says, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? And you read this and you think, oh, they're coming to their senses. He's not coming to his senses. He has an ulterior motive. He goes on, he says, come, let's sell him to these Ishmaelites coming right down the road there and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. It's like, oh, you're being so compassionate. Instead of killing him, you just want to sell him into slavery, you know? And all the brothers are sitting there thinking, going, well, yeah, what a great idea. We can fake his death, still convince dad that he's dead, solve our problem, and have some money in our pocket? Absolutely. So sure enough, this caravan comes. They pull him up out of the cistern, you know, and sell him off to the Midianites, who then begin to take Joseph down to Egypt. Now, I want to pause right here in the story because I think this is a place in the story where your story and my story and Joseph's story intersect. Because this raises a whole lot of questions, doesn't it? As Joseph was there in the bottom of the well, my guess is he was thinking about a lot of these questions. Because you have to remember, Joseph knew a lot less about God than we know about God. Joseph didn't have the Old Testament documents. Joseph didn't have the New Testament documents. Joseph knew nothing about, oh, Jesus is going to show up one day and die on a cross and rise again and prove his love for us. Joseph didn't have any of that information. You know what Joseph knew about God? All Joseph knew about his God was some stories his great-grandfather Abraham had told him, and they were cool stories about his interactions with God. And then he'd heard some stories from his grandfather Isaac. They seemed to be good interactions with God. Then some stories from his dad Jacob and his personal experience with his dreams. Imagine if that's all you knew about this God you could not see. And then Joseph's trying to put the pieces together and figure out what in the world is going on in my life. God gave me this dream. He told me, you know, he had a plan for me. And now here I am in the bottom of a well about to be killed or sold. I guarantee you, he was asking the questions all of us have asked at some point. Questions like this. Would God allow something like this to happen to someone that he cared about? After all, Seemed to have a plan for Joseph, right? So how in the world could God allow something this terrible to happen to someone that he loved? Surely, if God really cared about him, he would intervene and do something about this. Have you ever wondered that? I mean, you hear us talk about, well, God's for you, and he's with you, and he's not going to leave you, you know, he loves you. And then you experience life, and sometimes what happens to us in life and what we believe about God do not seem to align. And it creates a tension, doesn't it? Sometimes it creates a frustration. Sometimes it leaves us pretty angry. It raises questions like, well, where is God when life goes south? Because again, shouldn't he care enough to make sure you're not having to experience the things that you have experienced or you are experiencing? Or what about this one? Why does God sometimes not answer our prayers? You think Joseph was in the bottom of that cistern praying for God to help him? You better believe he was. Why didn't God answer that one? Why doesn't God answer yours? You have prayed some prayers that were really good prayers, and God still didn't answer them. And doesn't it make you scratch your head sometimes and go, well, why? I don't get it. Like, why wouldn't God do that? Why wouldn't God fix that? Why wouldn't God care enough to change that? Those are the questions rattling around in Joseph's mind. As they pull him up out of a cistern, and the Midianites... Time up to the back of a caravan of camels and people 
And he's just shuffling through the sand, dragged along all the way to Egypt, wondering, okay, there's a God that my great-grandfather told me about. Maybe he loved Abraham, but he doesn't love me. Maybe he loved Isaac, but he doesn't love me. Maybe he loved my dad, but he doesn't love me. Because if he loved me, where in the world is he? Why wouldn't he show up and do something? Why would I end up in this situation? Those were the doubts. Those were the questions. I think we can all relate. That he had to be thinking. As he was dragged all the way across the desert, and he gets to Egypt, and then the writer tells us when he gets to Egypt that Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites. So now, there's no rescue Joseph just becomes another slave in the Egyptian economic slave machine. And you know this. We should have never heard another thing from Joseph. None of us should know who Joseph is. He should have been just lost to history. So clearly, by the fact that we know his story, we know something happened. But I don't want you to get ahead, especially if you know the story. I don't want you to get ahead to what you know happened. I want you to stay right where Joseph was, knowing what little he knew. And trying to figure out why God would allow something like that to happen to him and then to make things even more confusing the writer tells us this he says the lord what a what an odd phrase in this story the lord was with joseph so they prospered now if you didn't know the rest of the story and i hit pause here and i said okay what does prosper mean i want you to finish this sentence for me well all of us would think oh so god did finally intervene God gave him his freedom, because that's what prospering would look like. God vindicated him. That's what prospering was look like, would look like. And God gave him a chance to get revenge on his brothers, because he clearly should have that opportunity. That's what prospering ought to look like. But it's not what prospering looked like for Joseph. The writer tells us, yeah, in spite of all of these terrible circumstances, God was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Wait a minute. You're telling me that God was so kind that he said, Joseph, I'm going to make sure that you do well as a slave. Yeah. He prospered as a slave. Well, I'd prefer to prosper with my freedom, thank you very much. I'd prefer to have back the life I had just a few days ago. But God didn't give him that. God said, no, no, no. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to make sure things go well for you as a slave in Potiphar's house. Which translated to, instead of living in the worst of the slave quarters, Potiphar's going to take a liking to you and you're going to live in the best of the slave quarters. Congratulations. I mean, can you imagine if Joseph was trying to explain to all these Egyptians who didn't know about his God, if he was trying to explain God to them, well, what's your God like, Joseph? Oh, he's great. He's taking such good care of me. Have you seen my slave quarters? It's like, I don't want anything to do with your God, you know. Thank you. We want gods who are a little nicer to us than that. This is all he had. This was all he was experiencing. I don't want you to miss this because this is the tension that we often feel. We assume, well, if, if God is loving and if God is good and if God is with us, then good things should happen to good people and bad things should happen to bad people. But that is not how it played out in this story. As a matter of fact, God was with Joseph and he did nothing to make things right for Joseph. He was with Joseph. He never left him. And he didn't fix any of Joseph's problems. Now, if you've ever been in that situation, you know how frustrating it is, and you honestly know how hard it is to actually believe that God is with you and he cares about you if he's not making things right for you. 
Because all of us have a tendency to equate who God is, to define who God is, by the circumstances we're experiencing. So if life's really good for us, well, God's good then. That's nice. But when life gets bad and God doesn't change it, well, then we start to doubt God. But in Joseph's situation, God was with him. He never abandoned him. But he didn't rescue him either. He didn't leave him. But he didn't change any of his circumstances. Why would God do that? Why would God be with someone and not make things right for someone? Well, there's only a couple of answers. One, you could come to the conclusion that God actually doesn't care. But we have information Joseph didn't have. We have enough information to know that God actually cared enough to show up on earth and to give his life for us. So we don't have to doubt his love. Which just leaves one other possibility. And it is that maybe in Joseph's situation and maybe in your situation, God has a perspective on your story that you don't have. And the things that don't seem right at this moment that you wish you could change, the parts of your story you wish were rewritten, maybe God wants them and needs them to be part of your story because they're going to pay off in the future in the plan and the purpose he has for you. Maybe he's able to step back and see a perspective you don't have and realize that all of this is going to work out in the right way. But Joseph, just like us, Joseph did not have that perspective, did he? He didn't. Joseph was sitting there with less information about God than we have. As a 17-year-old, this is what makes it so amazing to me, as a 17-year-old, he's having to figure out, well, if God's not going to make anything right for me, Does he still love me? Does he still care? Is he there? So, I want to circle back to this question that seemed to have guided Joseph throughout his story, and maybe it'll be helpful for you and yours. What would you do if you were confident God was with you? What would you do? How would you respond? How would you react? How would you act? Where would you be emotionally in the circumstances you're in right now if you were confident God was with you? You know, how would you, how would you change the way you are making decisions if you were confident God was with you? Everything may be great in your life right now. But what would you do differently if with everything just like you want it to be, if you were confident God was with you, how would you handle your success differently? Because you know what happens, and we'll talk more about this in a couple weeks. You know what happens whenever we, things tend to go well? We assume the more successful we are, the smarter we are. Have you noticed that? There is no correlation, by the way, between success and smarts. But we all think we're smarter. It's like, oh, yeah, I've got this figured out. And then we take control of everything, don't we? But you know what? When life's going well, somebody who's confident God is with them, they don't assume that everything happening in life is because they're in control of it. They act a little differently. What would somebody like you, how would it change, you know, you got that relationship that's so strained. Well, how would it change the way you're responding and reacting to that if you were certain God was with you? Your, your parents showed up and said, hey, we're getting a divorce, and it just rocked your world. And it should rock your world. But how would you navigate through all of that emotion and all of that pain if you were confident God was with you? Whereas you're trying to break free of the addiction, 
Because you're trying to figure out, is there any hope left for this marriage? Or I don't know what else to do with my kid at this point. I'm at a, I'm at a loss. And, I, you know, you're just grabbing for straws and freaking out and, you know, going to extremes because you care so much. But how might you act differently as a parent if you were confident God was with you? And if you were confident that God was with that kid, what would you, what would I do differently? In our current circumstances, wherever we are in life, if we were absolutely confident that God was with us, here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to ask yourself this question this week. You don't have to do the question. You don't have to do whatever your answer is. But would you just ask yourself the question? I'll tell you why I want you to do that. Because whether life is just normal and routine right now or whether it's going incredibly well or whether it's going terrible or whether everything's going to get turned upside down at some point this week, I'm just telling you. What this question does is it makes you aware that there is a bigger perspective than what you have. And it causes you to reconsider the direction that maybe you ought to take. Now, you still may not want to do it, and that's okay. That's between you and God, whatever. But you at least ought to be aware of, you know what? I think somebody like me in my current circumstances, if they were confident God was with them, I think they would do this instead. I think they'd go have that conversation. I think they'd offer forgiveness, even though it's so hard. I think they'd be more generous in this situation. I don't think they'd be so self-centered with their time. I think they'd be more patient. In some cases, it might be, I don't think they would say anything. I don't think they would freak out and try to control, you know, that kid's behavior or that friend's behavior or that spouse's behavior. I, I think somebody who's confident God was with them would just let God work and they would just trust him and pray. You know, I don't know what it looks like for you, but I'm telling you, in the middle of whatever it is you're dealing with, if you will ask this question, it will provide you some clarity and it will at least provide you with an alternative response to what you're planning to do, to what I'm planning to do. And then you can choose. Because it just might be true that God knows more than you, that he has a perspective bigger than yours, and that what you're going through right now that God is with you, and at the same time, he is not making everything right for you because he knows it's going to pay off for you later on. In a minute, we're going to sing one final song, and the reason we want to do this is I just wanted to give us all an opportunity during this last song to reflect a little bit, maybe to ask ourselves a question about a situation that's coming to mind right now. Maybe it's just to pause and to remind ourselves, oh, okay, God's perspective on this is bigger than mine. And there's a line in this song that I love that reminds us of that. It says, lift my eyes to see all the plans that you have for me. Because he does have plans. He does have a purpose. And he does see and know where your story is going and how it's going to unfold. And so I want to invite you. I want to remind me this week. Just ask yourself, okay, what would somebody like me do? If they really were confident that God was with them. Let me pray for us. Father, this is challenging at times, and it's challenging sometimes because we just don't want to ask the question because we know it's, the answer is going to be something that we're not interested in doing. And this question can really kick us in the tail. And it's challenging sometimes because we're just not sure if we have the courage. It's challenging sometimes because, man, it's so easy to equate what's happening in our life, our circumstances, with how much you love us how much you care and whether you're there. 
But would you give us the wisdom, the courage, the boldness to just ask the question, to be aware. Help us to gain the wisdom to be able to see our current circumstances, not just from our limited point of view, but from yours. And help us to realize you know where our story's going. You've laid out plans for us. And we really can trust you to lead us through them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. For more information on our church or to find our app or our YouTube channel, just visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.